Good. I'd like for you to open your Bible this morning one more time to Psalms 85 and 1 Samuel chapter 7. The subject is in Psalms 85 and verse 6. Will thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Subject we're talking about in a little series here is called revival. And in this sense, he's talking about mostly, I believe, and I'm talking about in this series about the reviving of Christians. Because a lot of Christians who have been brought to the life that God gives seemingly, or it seems like, they've drifted away from it or the freshness of it, or the meaning of it, or the importance of it, and their life gets again all wrapped up and mingled with the things of the world, which sort of, well, the cares of this world, the things of this world will crush out the life of God because they're more attractive to your flesh than God is. And so when that happens, when people begin to wander away, things grow quiet, less interesting, less motivated. There seems to be a decline in your life spiritually. You know it. You're aware of it. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 7, they were aware of it there. We've looked at this for the last few weeks. They were aware of it. They had known the goodness of God, the deliverance and the power of God. They had known the safekeeping of God, but they had begun to drift and follow after the customs of these countries that they had overtaken. And the gods of these countries became the gods that they followed. They were not gods, but the people thought they were gods. They were sticks and stones that people had fashioned into some image. And they had the superstition that maybe something good can come from allegiance to this. They sacrificed things to them. They sacrificed their children to these things hoping that something good would come to them. God said that all of that, of course, is, we can understand this, is an abomination to him. And it is the reason why you have gone into a decline, that other things have got your affections. Other things have captured your time and energy. And what you find yourself devoted to is really not God, but something else. And the most important thing in your life is a relationship with God. And the devil is ever at work trying to get between you and God so that no longer is God to you what he said he is and what he once was and what he should be. But he changes all of that. So these people in 1 Samuel 7 realize that, you know, we're not doing well. Our forefathers did better than we are. Look what we're doing. Look how we're living. So the prophet Samuel, at the right time, told him the three things we've already mentioned so far. Verse 2, he said that all Israel lamented after the Lord, and Samuel spoke and said, if you want to return to the Lord, if you want to come back, see, these had gotten away. That's what we're talking about. And if you want to come back to where you should be and where you ought to have been at some point, if you really did get born again and the life of God began to permeate your life, your life, if you want to come back to that, here's what you do. Three things. One, you put away the gods that you've adapted yourself to. 
all these outside interests that are taking all your time, attention, loyalty, devotion, so forth, give it up. And the second thing he says you have to do is to prepare your heart for the Lord. That's the problem. And that's the place of the solution. It's your heart. Whoever has your heart has you. And whatever is in your heart, you are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And then the third thing he said was that you got to serve him only. Serve him only. Now, here's the benefit. If you will do three things, if you really hunger and thirst for what God has for you, that you read about, that you're maybe not getting, and you really want it, and you're willing to make the divine adjustment that God says, that put away the gods, prepare your hearts, and serve him, that may take a little while to prove and demonstrate that, but you start somewhere. You start. And God said, if you will, here's what I will do. I will deliver you from the Philistines. Whatever they have done to you, I will undo it. Whatever effect they are having on you, I will change it. Whatever darkness they have brought you into and whatever oppression and depression they have laid on you, I will lift it off of you, which is exactly what everybody wants. In other words, I want to be free. I don't want to be captive to this and afraid of that and worrying about this and be stressed out all the time and never sure and never know for certain and, and always living in apprehension. If you want to be delivered from that so that that no longer controls you or dominates you, then God said, this is how you do it. You come back to him and he will change all of that in your life. You can't read the New Testament and you can't read in the history of the Old Testament where God's people turned to him that God didn't do that. When the Lord turned the captivity of Zion, the Bible says, and we'll look at it again in a minute, when God turned the captivity of Zion, we were like those that dream. Everything went back to where it should be. We may not have money in our pockets, but we don't have this pressure. We're not slaves anymore to some feeling or some habit. We're free. We've been delivered. God said, I'll deliver you from the Philistines. The last time we asked the question, in what way are we to understand Philistines? Now, we know they were a natural people, a warring people that inhabited the land of Israel today. They were once the inhabitants there. And when God sent his people in, he said, this is now your land. God says, I give it to you. Drive all these people out. Learn none of their customs. Follow none of their gods. Get rid of all of them and all of that. And you'll find peace and blessing in this land. And as we know the history, they didn't exactly do that. So the Philistines represent the influence, the ways and the workings of the devil amongst God's people. For whatever are the customs of the world, whatever the ways of the world, become snares. And the devil aligns that stuff. God doesn't prevent this because you've got to be tested. But there's things that come into your life, things that are set before you, things with a lusty or a worldly appeal. Would you like to come on? Wouldn't this be better than that old, come on, come on. This is so true in religion too. There's something more exciting than just sitting and listening to somebody talk. 
This is something more exciting and, and whoa than that. And so we're all enticed. We're all tempted. We're all given a way that's not the way of God. Thus the work of the Philistines, or as we would say today, it's the work of the devil. This is what brings people into bondage. It's the work of the devil. The fear that controls people is of the devil. But the Bible plainly says that God did not give us a spirit of fear. God never gave us a spirit of fear. So a spirit is an agent of the devil, a work of darkness. God never gave us that, and yet the world's full of fear. Drug companies are making billions of dollars every year on fear because fear leads to stress. Stress leads to anger. Anger leads to bad decisions because it is a weakness of man. Man is controlled by these things. And whatever dominates a man that isn't of God is of the devil. And you need deliverance. But God said, you're not going to get delivered if you stay the way you were. You're going to have to do things my way. And if you will, if you will, if you'll see things my way, do things my way, we'll get rid of these strongholds in your life. These weak habits that don't seem to ever let go of you. These deficiencies keeping you all the time. I don't know. All of the whining and the moaning and the groaning that is in you is all the result of the work of the devil. God's people are not moaners and groaners. They are rejoicers. They are rejoicers. Our text said that a part of deliverance is rejoicing. Will thou not revive us again that we may rejoice in thee? Or as another translator said, that thy people may again be glad to wake up every day and be able to smile and know that nobody's going to whomp you. To live every day with expectation that a promise that God has made, you can receive it and nobody can stop you. Nothing else controls you now but the spirit. Spirit of God. This is what deliverance is. And when deliverance comes, then comes rejoicing. When people are bound, they don't rejoice. When people are, as we might say in our language, when people are tied up in a knot or their life is in a wad, they don't rejoice. They usually wonder why they're not doing better than they are, why all of that you're preaching, I hear it every week, it doesn't work for me. I've been hearing it for 25 years, and I, I'm still like it's God's fault. But when people are bound, when people are not free, when people are in some degree or in some way captive to something, the thing that most exemplifies that is sorrow. And quietness and moaning or groaning or just silence. Our captors in Psalm 137, you know, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. And our captors there, the ones who captured us, they wanted us to sing one of the songs of Zion. They were known for their singing. They were known for their exuberance. When the temple was present. There was singing 24 hours a day. The priests, they had times that they had 24 sections a day for an hour. 
They stood before the Lord and they sang and then the musicians played and there was another group came in. There was constant music before God. And yet God's people can get to the place and not even realize it. That the only thing that can inspire them to sing anymore is a songbook. They have to have some kind of book and tell us what number to sing and they mouth the words and that's about the limit. The heart doesn't seem to embrace anything except me, mine, mine, us four, no more, Acts 2, 4. And it seems that there's just so much sadness or dullness. Maybe it's indifference. I don't know. But we have failed to achieve all these promises that God has made so long. I'm just not even sure he's going to do it. You're bound to. That's a sort of a captivity. It hinders you. It controls you. It holds you back. You're afraid of what people will think if you sing. You're afraid of what people will think if you clapped your hand. You're afraid of what people will think if you danced. Dancing before the Lord, whatever. You know, just some way you do that. We don't have to practice some style. It's just something that in you wants to in some way demonstrate, I am so glad of what you've done for me, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And yet when you're afraid to do that or when you're conscious of what somebody may say about you, you're bound. Now, I know because I know every year everybody would run and I, I couldn't, my feet just wouldn't do it. I feel like I'd look at my feet sometime and say, all right, do your thing. And they said, no, we're not doing it here. Now, you all didn't know that I've been in empty buildings many times just run. Had a big time. And the old building on Clay Street had a little more room. Nobody was in there. Nobody could see it. And I'd just run around there. And then the Lord would convict me about it. I've never seen you do that in church service. So one night I made a deal with the Lord. He fulfilled it. And I did. I think I did it once, maybe twice. But I've done it. But there's a certain kind of fear that we have. We're more interested in ourselves and what people may think about us than what God may want from us. So we talked about that last week. I think we asked the question, what deliverance means? Deliverance just means to be loosed, to be loosed, to be set free, to be unhindered or unbound Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 12 and 13, it's a good verse. He said, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. So it's the power of darkness that binds us. And he said, God has delivered us from the power of darkness. Our assurance policy, Psalm 91, verse 3 says, surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of of the fowler. Who is the fowler? Well, the fowler was a word for one who snares and traps birds. It lays a little snare, entices the bird, and when the bird either trips the snare or he pulls or whatever you do, he catches a bird. It's a picture of one who lays a traps to snare you. And God said he will deliver you from that. And if you will listen and pay attention, he will give you discernment. And you'll be able to see aforetime what's coming. 
and you'll see what's being put before you to snare you, to hinder you, or to bind you in some way, to bring you in dominion to something else. There are witchcraft spirits throughout the church in which people are controlled by other people, afraid to say no, afraid to let your convictions rule you until they're refined or made better and until they are, this is what I believe. There are people who are afraid to do that because of fear. And they're bound. When God isn't free to give you the way to live and you're controlled by what other people want, like preachers, many of them are, you're bound. You're bound by a system. You're bound by a principle of people. You're bound by something. You're not free to serve God. You're not free to preach what you should. You're not free to say what needs to be said because there's a fear that if you do, you'll not only make somebody mad, but they may fire you. That's bondage. We all need to be free from that. We all do. Now, let me ask you another question today as a part of this. There were several questions I told you we were going to deal with. We're going to deal with what deliverance means. And secondly, right now, why we need deliverance. And thirdly, how deliverance comes. And then fourthly, how can you tell if you have been delivered? So why do we need deliverance? Well, we need deliverance in order to serve God properly. You cannot serve God bound you cannot serve God afar off. You say, well, I'm just shy by nature. And you know what? God has changed your nature. Did you know that? God has given you a new heart, a new direction, a new life. You're not the same old person that you used to be. Sometimes shy people have so much to offer. They're good thinking people. And if they... Sometimes I would like to say that or do that, but I just, and you need to get free from all of that. You need to get free from it. Every person who is born again needs deliverance. Every one of us that came to the Lord, all of us, when God saved us and brought us to him, we all need to be cleansed from stuff that if we don't get cleansed from it, it will control you. Turn to 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. He said, having therefore, you got to remember now, before you were born again, when the devil brought you to him, he stuffed us all like turkeys full of the world. We learned all the vile habits, developed vile attitudes and ideas. That's why we like to argue and fuss. That's why we like to get on some political talk show thought process and think like that and talk like that. I mean, that's the way the devil does. He gets your attention, appeals to your flesh, and off you go. And when you come to the Lord... If you are taught and if you read or if God shows you a different way, then it's a challenge. You don't argue anymore. You don't fight anymore. You don't fuss anymore. You don't debate on who's the best politician anymore. All of that stuff pales in light of what God wants, and it has to die. You have to crucify something with its affections and its lusts. What do you have to crucify? Your flesh. 
that natural part of you that is inclined to the world and its ways. The only thing about you that the devil can use and tempt is your flesh. If you crucify that, you've overcome that. You've overcome him. If he has nothing fleshly about you to tempt, he cannot tempt you. He has to appeal to something other than something spiritual from God. He can't. The temptation of Jesus was, look how great you'll be. Throw yourself down. Everybody go, whoa. Famous. Appraise. Applaud. Look at me. That's what the devil wants you to seek after. Are you all there in 2 Corinthians 7, 1 now? All right. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us, let us, the beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. Uh-oh. Now, the flesh part I got, what's the spirit part? That's the demonic influence in your life. That's where a lot of your old habits, some of your secret lust and passions are spiritual. They're demonic in nature. You just adapted yourself to that way. Most of the people you knew were like that, and so off you go, whether it's pornography or other things. It's spiritual. You've got to be cleansed from it. And the Bible did not say that we have to run somewhere to get cleansed, though sometimes that's necessary. But he said, let us cleanse ourselves. Didn't the Bible say that? So you've got a job to do. You've got to cleanse yourself of all filthiness of your flesh, all of that nasty and spirit, whether it's witchcraft, lust, or a religious spirit. Whoo, how prevalent in the church is a religious spirit. We're not here to talk about demonology, so I'll keep going. But there are all kinds of things about your personality and your character that are not right with God. The purpose of teaching is to expose it. And the purpose of faith is to deal with it. And the purpose of trials is to eliminate it. It's up to you. God is the one who brought you to him. God is the one who exposes the nature of your problem. And then he says to you, now deal with it. And it's going to get dealt with. It's like God saying, okay, here's the deal. Either you deal with it or I will. Trust me with this one. It'd be better if you dealt with it. God has a way to cleanse you, and he is going to cleanse you because he that called you to him is, is taking the responsibility to prepare you for heaven. He's not going to leave you alone. If you're being left alone, then it's not good. But when God calls you to him, he has a program. He's not going to leave you alone, and he's going to continually do a work in you until you are without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. Those are all things of the world and things of the devil. You've got to be cleansed of these things. This is what God does. He exposes darkness. He exposes dirt. In marriage relationships, in your school relationship, your friend relationships, Look at how often we are angry. My goodness, what an angry age we're in. And we're just so tense all the time. That's the devil. God never gave us that. 
That didn't come from going to church and hear the word of God. You get that from roaming around in this world and imitating other people. You watch some of this trash on TV, some of the young people begin to think that's normal. And it's abnormal because it's perverted. It's of the devil. And people treat perversion today like homosexuality as though it's okay. It's not okay. It's wrong. It's perversion. God never made us that way. And there's such a, well, don't say that too loud. Somebody might be offended. Well, maybe the purpose of being offended is to get your attention to know that in that particular state, you won't make it to heaven. So God is telling us, showing us that, look, when you're bound, somebody else is controlling you. Somebody else is putting in your mind that you can't help yourself and it's not your fault. You're a victim. You ever heard that? That you're a victim. But God wants us to be delivered so we can be useful to him. You remember this verse in 2 Timothy 2 that in a great house there are not only vessels that are honorable, but there are also vessels that are dishonorable. There are things in your life that are good and there are things in your life that are not good. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earthen and some to honor, some to dishonor. He's talking about things in each of our lives. But the things that are dishonorable are not okay to let hang around. I can't do nothing about it. It's just the way it, that's not true. You can do something about it. They are not to remain in your life because God, as we didn't finish in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, he wants us to be holy. And you can't be holy and contaminated at the same time. When he said, cleanse yourself from all fields of the flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God, it goes over here to verse 21. If a man therefore will purge himself from these, he shall be. Or put, she shall be. It's up to you and me if we will purge ourselves. And he tells us we shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. That's the work of God. This is what God is doing. And the devil wants to prevent it with these things. Like, well, look, nobody's perfect. Well, all of that's good. I understand all that. But look, you got to realize that as long as you're in this flesh, you can only go so far and only do so much. You can't do all that. We're just down here in this world surrounded by all this stuff and we can do good, but we can't do all of that. Now, who taught that? Who said what I just said? The devil said that. Who tells you when God says you can and then the devil says you can't? Now, somebody's lying to you. God cannot lie. It's the devil that makes you want to back off, give up and sit down and take it easy and faint. That's the work of the devil. A lot of people aren't going to make it. They're not going to stay with this because they've been given too many excuses. Well, that's not right. That's not fair. Well, I can't. Well, I was this and I didn't have a chance. And growing up, it was this way and all my trials are. They have all these excuses that somebody gave them while they don't have to pursue the kingdom of God 
sometimes with violence. You got to fight. You draw your sword and you fight the good fight. You war a good war. You're a soldier that cannot win this battle mingled with the world. Paul wrote to Timothy. You got to fight. You got to lay aside every weight and any sin that does so easily beset you. And you got to run with patience the race that is set before you. Determined to win and not give up whether anybody else does or not. I'm not basing my life on you or them or that or there, but on the revelation that God gives me as I study his word. I'm walking with God. You're walking with God. Whether or not our walk is right, it's whether or not God says it's right. And we read it and we do it. That's what he wants. Remember the Psalm 40? He said, I cried out unto the Lord. He heard my cry and lifted me up out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock. And he established my goings. He put a new song in my heart. That's always follows revival. Music and singing. He put a new song in my heart. And many shall see it in fear, just like the Babylonian captors that captured God's people. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. We've heard about your singing. And they said, we can't sing in a land like we're in now. The psalmist said, bring my soul out of prison. I want to worship God, but I, I can't do it. I, I messed up so bad last night that I can't... <laughs> I can't raise my hands this morning. I'd be a hypocrite. Well, what were you doing last night? What about the message you heard last week? Does that have any effect on what you did last night? Or are you just sitting here taking up a seat? You want to live right? Then live what you taught. Live what you believe. And quit making excuses and say, well, I'm just going to do a little kissing before I go to. You're messing up already. Your brain's crooked. Your brain waves are flawed. You're making excuses for yourself, being what you are as for messing up. Well, I, you know, I, 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 hogwash, it's sin. Call it sin. That's what separates you from God. That's what puts you in this low level of indifference. You don't worship. You don't sing. You don't praise other than that song book. And if you do clap your hands, it's like patting the cake. How many of y'all know what pat the cake means? Patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. Never mind, never mind. How does deliverance come? Assuming that we all need it, various stages and various levels of it, how does it come? How do you get delivered? Well, always, always by the power of God. First, start there. Always we're delivered by the power of God. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted and tested beyond that which you're able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. Only God can do that. So sometimes your deliverance is simply a deliverance from a temptation. Something that could have really 
oh, ruins your testimony. You, you just went back to your convictions and you got away from it. God delivered you. But deliverance is always the power of God. Peter wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. When the devil is driven out of anybody, he was driven out by the power of God. The devil never leaves on his own. He never says, you know, I'm tired of this place. I'm tired of this particular body. I don't like this personality anymore. One thing you learn about the devil, when you read scripture, after a while you keep reading it. One thing that spirits don't like is to be somewhere they're not inhabiting a body. They don't like to wonder. Spirits don't like to be unattached. They're constantly seeking an entrance into somebody's life so they can manifest their whatever kind of spirit they are. Lust, lying, cheating, stealing, all kinds of spirits. They don't like to be like cast out. They pleaded with Jesus once, don't cast us out. Don't make us go back to that place. One time they said in Mark 5, send us into the pigs. The devil would rather be in a pig than to be nowhere. And as soon as he got into pigs, he killed the pigs, ran them over a hill. That's what the devil does. He comes to kill, to steal the farmer's profits, and to destroy. How many of you know there can be spirits and animals? We had a Sasquatch running around out here in the county somewhere not long ago. They probably found out it was, it was just dogs, vicious dogs that want to hurt. They have spirits in them. Now, you do have authority over that. One time in passing out tracks in Madison, Indiana, one of the young ladies that was with us in our high school group, look at that dog on the porch. said, just take authority over that dog. Well, let me see you do it. Well, let's just go on down the road here a little bit. So I did. I walked up there in a German shepherd. And he was snarling. I mean, right there. And I, I was talking in tongues to that dog. I have no idea what I was saying. No, I didn't. But I think he did or somebody did. And he snarled and snarled and said, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And I, and I quit looking at him. And I'm thinking, Hallelujah. I got up the house, knocked on the door, gave a track. The lady said, how'd you get up here? That dog, he's not very friendly. I said, no, ma'am, but the Lord takes care of it. Then she shut the door, and it's me and that dog on his porch now. He's waiting for me to come off the porch. <laughs> I did it again, but I remember the kid said, wow. I'm thinking I'd be afraid to do that. I said, you just have to just, that's how you do it. And I'm going, <sighs> but it does work. But things that want to harm and kill just viciously, you're talking about the devil. Whether in animals or in people, and you see it in people all the time, they get that way. But it is God alone who can deliver them. So you start with the power. That's where we get our power. The power comes from God. Behold, I give unto you power. Remember that? to cast out demons, to heal the sick, raise the dead, and so forth. It comes from God. Man cannot do that. A second way that person is delivered is through prayer. You pray about it. You just simply go to the Lord in prayer. 
Would you look at Psalms 34 and verse 4? Don't we sing this song? I sought the Lord and he heard me. Well, that's obviously having to do with prayer because you, he heard, you're talking. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And what did he do? He delivered me. From what? So what was a person praying about? Probably something that he was afraid of, something that scares him. Maybe it was storms. Maybe it was forecast. Maybe it was threats. Maybe something out there, not of God, not even inspired of God, is trying to take away your joy because you're going to lose something if you don't. Maybe it's that. And the psalmist said, I sought the Lord. I didn't just sit there and dwell on, oh, what's this? This is is going to be really bad. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before that all happens, man says it's going to happen, and it could. I'm going to take it to the Lord from my part, what I've got. I'm going to take it to the Lord. Now, Lord, I ask you to protect my home, my property, and all that we have here. I lay it before you in Jesus' name. I cannot protect it because what's coming is greater than I am, but you're greater than what's coming. So I just ask you in Jesus' name to let it go over us, around us, and not bother us, and protect us and keep us. That no evil shall befall us, as well as no plague come nigh this dwelling. You will, concerning us, give charge to your angels to keep us in all of our ways. That's all you can do. And then whenever the problem comes, it goes. He delivered you. God deserves from you something in return. You know what it is? Thanksgiving. He deserves Thanksgiving. And how seldom does he really get it? Just to say, I want to thank you, Father, in Jesus' name for delivering me. I thank you, Lord. He doesn't even get that. That didn't take but five seconds. And he doesn't hardly ever get that. Now, he probably does from you, but he doesn't get it very often. People have been spared from these things. Let me give you a third way you get delivered. One of my favorite ways is in Proverbs. Go forward one book to Proverbs 11 and verse 9. Because this can work for all of us. The second part of that verse, the hypocrites, the first part of it. He said, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Who are the just? Those that have been made right with God. How shall they be delivered? By knowledge. Let me ask you a question. Based on that verse, is there power in knowing? Well, the power is there. You have to believe it. There is power offered to us if we know it. Now, if you have ears to hear and you can't hear, then the power problem is gone for you. You're a servant of whatever comes your way. God not wanting you to be a servant is willing to open your eyes and show you something that he's offering you. I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord that delivereth thee. I will, I will, I will supply all your needs and so forth. Now, that's his promise. The very thing that is plaguing you, here's a promise against it. You can be delivered from the money problem by simply doing things God's way. And when you do things God's way, he, by your faith, has delivered you. The thing that once burdened you is no longer. He showed you what to do. You did it. 
and he delivered you from it. How much has God taught us in 32 years here? And in all the other ways and methods you can avail yourself to knowledge, how much have you learned? How many different things has God voiced, spoken to us? How many things, how many nuggets of truth, how many hours and hours and hours and hours of meetings have we had for 30 years? And for some of you that aren't 30, you've been here all your life. You're just now hearing us. That's why we're talking about it. Countless hours that God, I would say, put it in these words, God has labored amongst us to give us knowledge, to show us his way, whether we listen or not or whether we're too busy to listen or too sleepy. I don't know. But God has been speaking to us all of our lives, all of our spiritual lives, telling us things. This is the way walk ye in it. The way you're walking is a way of death. Would that be bondage? If God offers you a better way, a way of life, would that be deliverance? Of course it would. How much of what you have learned that you believe, I don't know. How much of what you have learned and say you believe that you practice, I don't know. But that is how God sets you free with knowledge. You shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Make you free. Truth does that. Then if truth makes you free, what binds us? The absence of truth, falsehood, error, misleading something. If God gives me a heart to want to hear what he has to say, and I endeavor, whether I'm a young person or an older person, and I really see the value of these words, that God watches over every word to perform it, that he treasures his word even above his name, and that not everybody can hear it because even though they have ears to hear, God shuts ears. He spoke in parables one time, and he said, this is why I speak in parables. They have ears to hear. They can't hear it. But you can hear it because it is given to you. Who gave it? God. Right, Knowledge is a precious thing. It's not designed to puff us up and make us, we know so much. You know nothing if you don't live it. This word only sets you free if you live it or believe it. Believing it is living it. But through knowledge, he said, shall the just be delivered. Teach me thy ways, O Lord. Show me the way to walk. Open my eyes, the psalmist said, that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. Lead me in the way everlasting. God put pastors and teachers in the church. In this last day church, more prevalent than any of the other gifts ministry gifts because this is a time at the end it is a time of preparation for a harvest a seed has been planted in your life that seed as it begins to grow is designed to reproduce the original that's Christ this is the growing season and the way you grow is to know he that knoweth groweth 
and God shows you things and you begin to take things seriously, you receive it, you begin to make application of it in your life, you deal with everything that's in the way, and you begin to grow. When you begin to grow, you're experiencing revival. Just like in 1 Samuel chapter 7, get rid of the gods, that's right away. Prepare your heart, that may take a while. And after you have prepared your heart and you serve the Lord, it may take a while for us to see that you've done it. God may also. But never look back and quit because God said he will deliver you. And as he brings you before him, you may not have money in your pockets. You may not be free from a lot of things yet because you're being prepared for great deliverance. And he's going to show you things and you're going to do things and God's going to bless you. Because I'll tell you one thing in all of this stuff about knowledge, the one thing about knowledge that is great and it's probably its great function is to show you what to have faith for. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. When that's the next point, you're delivered by faith. Faith delivers you. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists how? Do you all remember how you resist the devil? Whom resists steadfast in the faith. You can't sing about it and talk about it like you would if you're living it and you have it. We live by faith. We ought to teach on that sometimes. The just shall live by faith. There is something about when it happens, when the word becomes what it's supposed to be. It becomes the certainty of what you can rely on. Yes. God did say that. Praise the Lord. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take him at his word. If that's what he said, that's what I'm going to do. And this is how it works. God delivers us by faith, I believe. James chapter 4, verse 7 Talks about the devil. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Does the Bible say that? I know there are many in what they call a deliverance ministry. Either one or a team that goes about and deals with almost any problem in the church by casting out devils. Now, I don't believe that. I believe in casting out devils. But I do not believe that every problem a man has necessarily needs a deliverance session to cast it out. Sometimes it does. People need help because they're not able, strong enough to deal with it themselves like we're talking about here through knowledge and through faith and through prayer. But whenever it comes to me walking with the Lord, God never gives it anything bigger than his ability to keep me, does he? And will with the temptations or the problems or the trials provide a way of escape? said he would therefore I can't escape that's what I believe I believe I can't escape I believe that in James 4 7 if I resist the devil if I resist if I sterizo if I take a firm hard stand 
against him. And God will never let it be bigger than my ability to resist. Is that right? He's not bigger than I am. He's going to come to the baby Christians, to the seasoned Christian. He's going to come. Whatever level he's allowed to attack you, he's going to come. And when he is in combat with most Christians, that's when they lose their song. Oh, I'm really going through it now. Oh, boy, this is a big one. And yet when deliverance comes, because you say, look, you're not pushing me around anymore. I'm not giving in to that. I don't have to do that to be happy. I don't have to watch that or wear that to be secure. I don't need a bunch of boys looking at my behind for me to be secure that I'm really important and I count. I don't need that. I just want God to be pleased with me. I want to trust God for my mate, my future, and, and my tomorrows. I just want to let God arrange my life. He said he would. He said he would take care of me and make things work for me. I'm going to have faith that as I trust God that he will bring this to pass. And the devil says, oh, that's not how it works. Don't get out of debt. You won't even have a good credit rating. I've shredded a bunch of them. What do I care about that? Oh, don't get out of debt because then you wouldn't be able. If you don't date, people are going to think you're a little bit soft. You're a virgin? Come on, nobody is. If you weren't in the Bible, you know what happened to you? You got stoned. You got stoned. Would be very many weddings today if we were in the Old Testament. Why wouldn't the devil try to snare you with that stuff? That's where most people are most vulnerable. Why wouldn't he use that as the great temptation? And why wouldn't he tell you with the temptation, well, you know, everybody does this. It's not like the end of the world. I mean, come on. God made you with what you got. I mean, why would that be bad? He uses that kind of talk to lure you and tempt you. But faith comes along and says, no, that's not what he said. He told me if I resist the devil, he'll free from me. And the devil is the author of sin. And what he's trying to do with what he's saying is to lure me away from God so I'll be judged. I don't want to be judged. I want God on my side. Therefore, I rebuke you, Satan. What I've learned to say, the Lord rebuke you, devil. Out you go. I'm not going to do that. I may not be popular, may not be liked, I'm sure it won't be voted for. But I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to use my faith. I want to make sure that what I believe is what God gave me to believe. I'm not going to do that. And I step back, God will take care of it getting out of debt and don't have anything, you're not going to have anything. Well, you're never going to, well, you're ever going You know what? Here's the deal. If I never have anything, the Bible says the little that a poor man has is greater than whatever the mighty has. If nothing ever came right for me, as far as material things, but I have the knowledge and the certainty in my heart that when I shut my eyes in this life, they will open into life eternal with God. Then you can keep your things. I'll take the heaven. I'll take God. I'll take his kingdom. We're not living to have stuff. We're living to serve God. And the devil wants to stop us from doing that. He's already stopped most people's praise. 
He's already got in there and hindered that and wound that up. Not everybody. Thank God we still got a few vocal souls. But he works overtime. You're supposed to say this. It is written in the Bible, and that's what I'm going to do. The Bible says we should not do that. I'm not going to do that. Now, in resisting the devil and him fleeing from me, I have, in that sense, been delivered from him. Now, there are those people like the gathering demoniac. Would you turn to Mark chapter 5? Sometimes people need deliverance from somebody who can administer deliverance to them. Now, we used to call these deliverance sessions. I'm not against deliverance sessions. I'm really not. But it is not a cure-all because of the fact that if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. I've told that to a lot of people. Well, who should I go to? Go to God. Resist the devil. You've been talked about running to man. The church runs to man. God brings us back to him, and then the devil gets in and says, no, you've got to go back to man now. That's not true. Now, these signs shall follow those who believe. And one of the signs they will follow is that they will cast out devils. They'll cast them out of people or houses. Is that possible? Now, surely, surely you are not so ancient and so medieval that you believe in haunted houses. Now, I do. See, now they really got something to talk about in town now. They got a haunted house down at the police station. It's empty, of course. It was all in the paper a couple, three years ago. Nobody could stay in there because there was stuff in there. I tell people all the time, when you move into a new house, take it through deliverance. Take it through deliverance. You make the claim. You make the stand. This is now mine. This is my dwelling place. And whatever kind of spirit was ever in this house, whatever activity of uncleanness was ever in this house, I break its power and its right to be here anymore. And I command in the name of Jesus for any and every kind of spirit that was ever in this house, whatever claim they made to this house, I claim that that's broken and all spirits have to leave and this becomes a place where God's people will dwell in peace and in joy. I don't know since I've learned that I've ever lived anywhere or rented anywhere that I didn't do that. Sometimes children have problems at night and people have problems or marriage problems, something pops up. It goes back to the spirits and houses that dwell there. Now, I'm talking haunted house. I'm not talking about Halloween. I'm talking about the presence of another spirit in a house. You can't see it, but you know something ain't right. And you take authority over it. And don't think the devil wants you to know all of this. Because he would rather you just assume, well, I don't know about that place. I'm moving. You don't have to move. You can deal with it because you're a Christian. And it's always good to put a little music in your house. Put a little music in your house. Thy loving God. devil hates it. He hates music. Spiritually inspired music, he hates it.
Remember who you are and what you represent, a kingdom. And the power that you need has been given to you. All power in heaven and earth, Jesus said, is given to me. First John 3 said, for this reason has the Father sent me that I might destroy the works of the devil. He said, as the Father sends me, I send you. You do the same thing. You destroy the works of the devil in your life, in your children, in whatever you can. You can't change your ancestors. They're gone. They had a chance and they weren't taught and they didn't live up to the level that God had for them. But you can. You can be delivered from all the stuff that was handed down, all the diseases, all the junk and the trash, all the limitations. You can be delivered from anything that is not according to this book. And in Mark 5, where you are now, you've surely found it. In Mark 5, this gathering demoniac, this wild man from Gadara. He was in verse 5, always day and night in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. He had been often bound in verse 4 with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him now you tell me that's not demonic that's the supernatural power of the devil to do things that are not normal he could break a chain and then jesus comes to the island jesus goes where he is and when he saw jesus coming he grabbed a big stick and took off running right at jesus no it doesn't say that now verse six it says but when he saw jesus what did he do how does a wild man worship Jesus? Because in every wild man, there is a chained up resident in that body and it's you. And when the devil begins to take up residence in somebody's life and he subdues that soul, he takes over. He speaks through them. Remember they spoke out in the church one time. They said, I know you. We know you who you are. Well, that man didn't know that this voice was coming through. It was a voice of spirits. We know you. When did they know him? Way long ago. Hast thou come to destroy us before the time? They knew what he was going to do in the end. These were demons inside of people, resident in people. Jesus said, come out of him. And out he came. A boy had an epileptic seizure. The father said, I brought him your disciples. They couldn't do anything for him. What am I going to do? Jesus said, how long has this been going since he was a child? And Jesus said to this thing, you unclean spirit, come out of him. And the thing threw him on the ground as though he was dead, but he came out. Jesus lifted him up, said, give him something to eat, sent him on his way, delivered in his right mind, like this demoniac here, when Jesus cast him out in verse 7. He cried with a loud voice, these demons did, what have I to do with you, thou Jesus, thou son of the most high? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not because he could. And what did he say? Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And apparently they didn't at that moment. So Jesus asked him, who were they? What is your name? I've done this. Sometimes you have to do this. What is your name, devil? And he said, Legion, for we are many. For we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country.
There was a bunch of pigs, and they said, send us into the pigs. And Jesus ran them off into the pigs. And they went over the hill, and swine fled, verse 14, and, and they died. And this is deliverance, verse 15. And they came to Jesus to see him that was possessed with the devil. That was possessed with the devil. And he had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they rejoiced. And they still are today. They're afraid today of this deliverance stuff and this demonic stuff. The devil really wants you to leave this alone. But in some cases, like here, a person needs somebody to work with them. That's when you start dealing with the devil. And if you don't know what you're doing, don't do it. Call help to get somebody to help you. I could tell stories, but that's not the time for that, about some really, really strange experiences. Some great victories and some sad defeats. But this is what the devil does. And when he does that and binds people up, he rules them. They need to be cast out. These demons do. And let me throw in this. as another thing about deliverance and tomorrow. Isaiah 46. What a wonderful, wonderful, marvelous verse. Isaiah 46 and verse 4. What a marvelous verse. Worth memory. One of the great verses in Scripture. And we've never read it. Let's read it. Whoo, you got to like this. You young ones won't, but some of us older ones will. Isaiah 46, verse 4. And even to your old age. It doesn't say how old old is, does it? All right, forget it. And even to your old age, I am he. And even to your whore hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear even I will carry and will deliver you. You like that? If your hair is gray, you do. Here's what another translation said, which it maybe makes it a little clear. It doesn't make it more accurate. It just makes it a little clear about what this is about. It said this, even when you are old, I will be the same. God speaking. Even when you are old, I will be the same. Nothing changes because of your age. And when you are gray-haired, I will take care of you. I like that. I will still be responsible for what I made. Yes, I will take you and keep you safe. That's for me and Bonnie. You want that, Miss Wilder? All the rest of y'all is gray-haired. Look what we got. I will be responsible for you. I will take care of you. Nothing has changed because your hair is gray. So quit dying it. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with it. You got a promise about it here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But I wouldn't be so cute. If my, I know you probably wouldn't, but you might be. You never know. Woo, you might be a looker if your hair was just a little gray. Praise God. And in closing, what is the evidence of revival? It's praise. It's music. It's exuberance. It's gladness of heart. It's joy. It's all of these things that say, he has made me glad. He has made me glad. 
The Lord thy God, when revival is going on, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. Zephaniah 3. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. And he will joy over thee with singing and so forth. Finally, 126, Psalms 126. This is the evidence of revival. One verse. More verses, but this is the one that will say it all. When the Lord turned the captivity of folks in Shelbyville and those who watch it in other places far off or close, when God turned the captivity of his people, then he says when he turned it, we were like them that dream. What else? Have you ever had a good dream? I'm sure I have. Mine sometimes are the video games. They're so messed up. Dreams. When God turned our captivity, we were those that, what a dream. Can I go back to sleep again real fast? He said, then was our mouth filled with laughter. And our tongue was singing. And they said among the heathens, boy, they sing loud, don't they? They said, the Lord had done great things for them. Singing, seeking, interest, attendance, gladness of heart, revival. Is something inside of you that has been liberated and you're not restrained anymore from holding back what belongs to God and that's worship and praise. We worship him not because we feel better but because he's promised to make things better. We worship him because he's God. That's who he is and that he will supply all of our needs. He will open the windows of heaven. He made a point of that. He will give to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's the way he talks about abundance. I'm not worshiping him because I'm going to get that, but he's the God who does that, and I'm going to worship him whether I have it or not, but I know this will happen. He's going to bring it to my life. He's God. Amen. He is God. So this is what revival is, folks. It's gladness of heart. It's being free. It's being free. And how sad it is today when people cannot get free. They're oppressed. And they're depressed. And they're mashed down. They have no hope. They're reminded of all their mistakes and all your failures. And nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. And for so many, they just commit suicide. Cannot cope anymore because of the bondage in their life. Suicide is a terrible thing. Taking the life of somebody else is thou shalt not kill. And it's really bad when you kill yourself. Because yourself no longer is yours. It belongs to God. You had no right to do that. Either way, you wouldn't. 
And it's all because the devil who comes to kill, steal, and destroy was able to pounce on, usually the second highest death rate amongst young folks is suicide because they don't know how to cope. They gave up on God. There was nothing to that. And, you know, and they depend on out there what they're going to do and be. And all of that does is kill you. Leaves you defeated on drugs, living with somebody, seeking some kind of joy and pleasure in this life, and they never, ever find it. You can only find it in Jesus Christ. And when you do, you're going to be free. Thou hast turned my morning into dancing with thee. Thou hast put off my sackcloth. Therefore, therefore, <coughs> therefore, 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 the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come complaining. They're going to come back. The redeemed shall return. They are going to come back. He's talking about the redeemed as a group. They're going to come back. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall returning, and when they come, they shall come how? Singing. An everlasting something will be in their hearts. What else does it say? And that da 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 dee dee dee. And sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord. That's the way it works. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is good. We're going to take communion now. And when you do, remember this, that the one we're honoring, who is Jesus Christ, paid a debt, paid a price, suffered in a way that has brought us life. Amen. Amen. Bow your head with me. Fathers, we receive the communion this morning. We give you thanks that you've allowed us to do this, given us a heart for it. May truly Jesus be honored. May you in your kingdom, O oh God, be honored this day. May we have done justice to the truth today. As we receive this bread and cup, we reflect on the Lord, what he's done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns his face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory Behold the man upon the cross My sin upon his shoulders 
Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast of anything, no gifts, no power or wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. Until it was accomplished, his dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished.